Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 18, Rooster in the Hen House, recorded on July 14th, 2014. My name is Julie Fafan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Shoebalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, happy Bastille Day. <laughs> what, is, what is Bastille Day, may I ask that ignorant it's question? It's the French Day of Independence when they stormed the Bastille in the French Revolution. Okay, well... Do we get to eat croissants or something good like that? Yes. Yes, okay. you do. Definitely. So I must eat French butter is what you're telling me. Today and every day. Well, there you go. So I can do that. I can do that very well, in fact. Anyway, I was going to say it's been a really long time since we recorded a podcast, which is sort of true and sort of not. Which is to say the last podcast we published was back in February um, because life just got insane and I started to travel like a crazy person. But then we actually recorded a podcast about a month ago in June, but had some technical issues and it uh, was 45 minutes of silence which I decided not to put out into the world. However, Joe Rotella, who was our guest on that fateful day, has kindly agreed to talk to us once again. In fact, I was worried he might give me the silent treatment for the rest of my life, but he hasn't. He's here. And uh, thank you so much, Joe. I'm so glad that you're here. I am too. You know, the second time has to be better than the first time because we practiced now. Exactly. As they say, first is the worst, second is the best, third is the one with the hairiest chest. (laughs) So uh, let me tell you a little bit about Joe. So Joe gives presentations across the nation on integrating social media into your marketing plan, uh, generational differences in the workplace, HR technology, and jazzing websites and employee portals, um, which is a lot of stuff that I don't totally get, but uh, it's awesome. And Joe is also the creative director and founder of Create and Craft and serves as a craft and as, as the Craft and Hobby Association, otherwise known as CHA's web expert. And I know him as Uber Man Crafter. So welcome, Joe. Well, welcome, welcome. So I'm so I was, happy to be here. <laughs> I'm so happy you could be here again. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit about your journey and how you sort of came to work in the craft industry. So as a little tot, I know your mother in, uh, filled your life with crafts. She did. She did. You know, I have to say back then, my mom had me later in life. She was 42. So my sister and brother were pretty much grown and out of the house. And I definitely spent most of my time with my mom. While my dad wished I was either doing carpentry with him or, to be honest, outside hitting a baseball. Instead, I was with mom learning to crochet or knit or macrame or remember those melted like little metal frames you'd put the chips in and you'd make it to make fake stained glass windows and shrinky dinks and you name it. If it came out, we tried it. So she had me crafting ever since I was little, 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 and it's pretty much lasted forever. Which is kind of amazing. And in fact, it's still a family business, right? Because your sister works with you for Create and Craft. She does. She had her own flower shop for 40 years. And then when she retired, she moved from the Adirondacks, moved in with my partner and I. And by then I had started crafting and creating crafts. So she does that with us too. So it's definitely like a family thing. Myself, my partner, my sister, and our best friend, Carol. That's nice. And will you tell us a little bit about Create and Craft? What is it? Well, you know, it, I guess I always call it my fun job because for my real job, I work in the software industry. And, you know, we crafted at home and that was pretty cool. And one of our clients in the software co- industry asked us to go to a crop. 
And it was one of those things, you know, you have to do if it's a really big client, you have to say yes, no matter what event it is. So we're not scrapbookers. I didn't even know what it was. We went and bought a horrible little scrapbooking kit from a big box store. And I told my sister and partner, I said, we're going to just show up. We're spend an hour. We'll bring food. That'll be the appearance. That's all I need to do. And then we're out of there. And it turns out we stayed from like nine in the morning till after midnight. My partner read everybody's scrapbooks. My sister was fascinated with die cuttings. And one of the folks there had a cricket. And I was fascinated by this. It's a tool, you know, it's electric, it moves, it cuts things. I was like, oh my God, what is this? So I spent all day screwing around with it. And when we left, my partner said, oh, can we get one? And I said, no, because he loves to shop. And I knew we'd have to have every single cartridge it made that, you know, you could buy for it. So I did a little research. I found some software that let you cut anything on a cricket at that time and started, I bought it. We started to use it. We got a cricket. Folks from that crop contacted me and I said, oh, I got to show you this cool thing. They kept having me show other friends. It kept growing and growing. And pretty soon I was teaching at stores, going to shows, and it turned into Create and Craft. And it's since evolved, you know, the, that software is not available for the cricket anymore. So I've moved on to, you know, another machine. We've expanded to doing classes and kits. And I've been lucky to be a guest on your show and now on your podcast. And um, it's just been crazy, this merge between my real job and then at night and weekends, we have the fun jobs. I was going to say, um, how much like how much time does the Create and Craft take up of your life? I mean, is it like an every night, every weekend kind of thing? It's very seasonal. Um, right now, we're getting ready for our busiest time of the year. In August, over a 10-day period, we do two shows. One is called Stamp Away, and one is called Gen Con, two very different shows. And over those 10 days, we will teach about 815 people in 30 classes. So wow. Wow, we're wow, kid wow. making kits for that now, and it's crazy. So this weekend, every single moment was making kits. Wait a second. Um, you, you make 800 kits? Yeah, these aren't typically these aren't like mixed media kinds of classes where, you know, you're just putting out a bunch of supplies. These are think projects people are making and we have to kit all that together. And they're 30 different classes. Oh, how long does that take you? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Um, we actually well, start this crack staff. <laughs> we start sourcing. We start sourcing supplies in January because it takes um, products from probably a hundred or so different vendors and I think a thousand different line items just to source all the materials, get them in-house. They get stored in our living room, dining room in uh, boxes with labels for each class. So as supplies come in, they get divvied up among boxes. And once everything's in for a box, we start to take open that box. Maybe we have to do prep work, cut stuff, trim stuff, repackage stuff, and all of it gets packaged together nicely with instructions, goes back in the box until we load the van in the middle of August. So right now we're in the middle of the kidding stage. So when you yeah. guys are kidding, I was going to say, sorry, mom, to interrupt you. Uh, are you going to, I'm going to say sorry, but I'm not going to let you talk. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I'm typical. I'm so surprised. <laughs> okay, fine. I'll hold my question, mom. What were you going to say? I was just going to say all this boxes and kidding and stuff. It actually sounds similar to the kinds of thinking you have to do with software. You know what I mean? You're sorting and you're planning in that same kind of way that you do on a computer. You know, I will, I do think some of my technical skills help because 
this is actually a huge undertaking and people make fun of me because I have, I have spreadsheets with a, with 20 tabs where I track all the items we need by class. What's, what do we have in house? What's on order? What hasn't been delivered yet? The quantities, I have it all priced out per class. Um, I even track how many people sign up on a weekly basis, whether or not the trend is up or down, what the revenue, potential revenue is, what target we have, how we're doing at the target. And if I couldn't use technology, I don't think I could track this because it's like tracking 30, you know, these are, these are 30 whole classes where, you know, the kits have to be right. When we get all the way to Cincinnati or Indianapolis, there's no time to run and say, okay, all you folks sitting here, 35 people, Give us a minute. We have to run to a store and pick up paintbrushes because we forgot. So it's it's actually something I'm the most proud of is our ability to plan, organize, and deliver this number of events when it's just the four of us. That's amazing. Very impressive. Okay, Julie, you may ask your question now <laughs> on see, your podcast. Well, see, I was going to say, as always, my mother asks an intellectual and interesting question and mine was stupid. So now I'm ashamed. But nonetheless, shame has never stopped me from anything before. So I'm going to go ahead and ask it, which is, I was just wondering, I mean, obviously you guys are spending hours, days, weeks, the whole thing kidding. And when you're doing that, are you, are you talking? Are you watching TV? Are you sitting in silence? Are you playing music? Like, how do you, how do you spend that time? I'm going to oh. rule out silence right away. <laughs> yeah, no silence. My sister loves to talk even more than me. So Joe's pretty quiet, but I love to chat. Um, actually, we listen to a lot of music, and the cool thing is, for your t for the tech folks out there, this Christmas I gave Joe a Sonos speaker for Christmas, which is a little wireless speaker that you can stream like Amazon, Pandora, anything from your cloud to it. So Joe is an audiophile and has millions of songs, I think. And we get that Sonos blaring in whatever rooms we're in, and... Actually, yesterday he caught me. I was actually dancing to one of my favorite songs, and he videoed it. So I'm going to kill him if he posts it because I'm there dancing and wiggling in my pajamas, singing to the song while we're making kits. Oh, um, I think that's... I have to get that for the, for the <laughs> web page that goes with this podcast. So it's, you know, it was, and I was in my pajamas, actually. So it's really embarrassing. But we have a really good time because we're laughing and, and, and I'm usually, you know, singing and I can't sing at all. And um, sometimes friends come over and help. Sometimes we post on Facebook, you know, 911, <laughs> we need help tonight. And people are real kind. They show up and they help and, you know, we get food together or maybe they take some extra kids home or we make it work somehow. And it's fun. That's awesome. It's a kidding party. Yep. So let's talk about the two big conventions that you're going to do, because um, I know there are a lot of people who've never been to these kind of huge, crafty conventions. Can you talk a little bit about um, each of them, how they're different, how they're similar, you know, and what the experience of going there is like? Um, and sure. And they're very, very different. Um, Stamp Away is an event that's happened. I think this is its 23rd year in Cincinnati, Ohio, and it started primarily as a rubber stamp convention um it's turned into now a five-day event and the first four days it's classes at a hotel and then across the street on the fifth day is a trade show or convention where vendors come and they sell now it's all sorts of paper crafting stuff paper stamps inks uh you name it stencils the whole nine yards so it's a big sales event on that on that saturday 
And what are the types of classes, Joe, that get taught? Is it is it techniques? Is it projects? Is it what kind of stuff is it? Um, it's all over the board at Stampaway. Like you'll see folks teaching how to use stencils to make cards. My sister's teaching iris folding. Um, I know somebody else is doing Zentangle. Um, Magdalena Muldoon is doing how to do metal embossing. Um, somebody else is teaching how to make a cookbook. Um, my classes are a little bit different. Um, they ask, I'm not really a scrapbooker and I'm not even really a card maker. Um, I like doing, I always call them 3D or lumpy bumpy things. So we're making a wind chime out of old wine bottles. Um, we're collaging on top of some chipboard birds. See, I would call you an altered plants. artist. That's what I think you are. You're an altered artist, meaning you alter things, right? Yep, and I love to do that stuff. So I've I got... wanna, I want to know if everyone's bringing their own used wine bottles or if you are providing them all. And if so, how do you get them? Oh, boy, that's a whole <laughs> other topic because we don't drink which is a huge problem when you want to make stuff with wine bottles. So what's happened is we found a, a local wine bistro that lets me get their bottles. But then in class, students who work with me over time now know that we need bottles and they've been collecting them at home. One woman is a bartender at a casino. She brings me huge Magnum bottles, which are great. So now people just drop bottles off at the house. We just did a a show a few weekends ago and somebody came with a box of bottles and dropped it off. So we're really, we're good on bottles now because folks know I like them and I need them and they keep providing them. So that's really cool. Very cool. And so what are you teaching at Stamp Away? Um, let's see. I have the mixed media little birds mounted on blocks. We have a no sew quilted wall hanging. So we're doing stuff with some fiber arts. We're doing recycled bottles, the wind chime class. Um, we're doing a traditional uh, easel card um, just to sort of fill that traditional um, space. And we're also doing a, uh, an album, but it's really making your own book. So people will learn some bookbinding techniques there. So kind of all over the board, I think. And are these big classes? I mean, are you teaching to 10 people? Or are you teaching to 100 people? How many students do you usually have in one of these classes? Uh, my cap in the classes is 32. And many of them are sold out right now. Some sold out the first couple of days of stamp away registration being open. Well, and let's talk about, you know, your, uh, every, everything I've ever heard from anyone who's ever taken a class from you is that it was amazing. So let's talk a little bit about, do you have a like philosophy about teaching or an approach that you do about it? How do you approach teaching someone a, a new, a new craft or a new craft technique? Um, it's, it's an interesting question because I actually have some uh, disagreements maybe with some other folks in the craft industry about this because I feel like these students, some of them are saving up money for a while to be able to afford, you know, a 20 or $30 class. And they're really looking forward to it. And I think they expect someone to come in that classroom who is a professional, they want to get their money's worth. So we work very hard to prepare. The kits are prepared in advance. They're double checked several times. So there's no missing pieces or goof ups. Um, we always provide written instructions with photographs. We arrive to the room on time. We make sure it's clean. We put everybody's kit out on the tables, all facing the same way, nice, the same way you'd say serve a plate of food at a nice restaurant. We're dressed appropriately. Um, when I teach, I try to use a lot of visual aids. I'll make, if we're going to do like a card, um, something like a card or the book binding class, I'll actually make that binding, but maybe two or three foot tall. 
So there's a giant model in the front of the room that I can teach with. If it's software and the cutting machine, we use a projector and a laptop. But for me, it's about being very professional. I, I'm really bothered when I hear teachers, you know, someone teach and they say, oh, well, we just put these kits together last night and I'm sorry if something's missing or screwed up because my little four-year-old was helping and well, we all know who that is. And while I can appreciate that style and feel it's real friendly, I sometimes feel that's not the style I want. I want folks to know if you're paying, you know, or even if you're not paying, if it's a, if it's a volunteer thing at a senior center, they've come to learn and they expect a professional. That's what I want to deliver. So my philosophy might be a little bit different than some. And how, how, how long have you been teaching? You know, crafting probably just, you know, three or so years, four years formally, but in my real job, I end up teaching software or marketing techniques or things like that. And I've done that since I graduated college in 86. I just turned 50 last month. Wow. You're still a baby to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I got an AARP card in the mail. It's like they were stalking me. I couldn't believe it. It's old news. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, Mom's ready for whatever you get way after that. Right, Mom? <laughs> <laughs> that's right um well so okay so here's my question which is i know you've been a public speaker for a long time and i believe you were the keynote speaker at cha weren't you a couple of years ago mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so you're obviously very comfortable in front of a crowd did you find that switching into teaching was a was a transition of any kind or did it sort of feel natural you know it felt somewhat natural although i think the difference is in you know speaking i can fly into a venue you know, end up in a room, get mic'd, deliver some content, and sometimes whisk away. It's like the theme song from Mission Impossible. Sometimes I even play it in my head, like, okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> but with, it's true. But with teaching, there's a, a craft. Um, we typically supply, if not everything, but most stuff for the class. And so I feel there's that extra pressure of making sure those kits are, you know, I'd like them to to be flawless. Now, uh, mistakes happen, and we always have extra of everything. We call it the bag of happiness. So the bag of happiness can fix anything when it, something goes wrong. But that's a lot different than just whisking in and, you know, just using your mouth. Here, you actually have to have all the supplies, and they have to work, and you have to have enough, and you know, all that jazz. So it's a little different. But the, the public part's easy. I don't want to forget to ask you about the other big convention that you're going to, because you were going to compare. Gen Con, well, that's a totally, totally different beast. Gen Con happens every August in Indianapolis, Indiana. I think they're booked there till 2025. And it is the longest running, best attended gaming convention in the world. They get about, oh, maybe 60,000 attendees. It's been running, I think, close to 50 years. And they have 11,000 events over four days. Wow. 10,000 of them are games, but they're, they're, you know, when they called, they found me through Just Steampunk magazine and said, hey, would you be our guest artist, guest of honor? And when they said, do you play games? I was thinking, like, sorry, Othello, Monopoly. <laughs> but these are live action role playing games, cosplay, Dungeons and Dragons kind of stuff. Um, what you see on the Big Bang Theory, that's Gen Con. Um, so there's 10,000 gaming events, but in a separate track, they have several hundred they call them spousal activities. I think it's a bit of a dated term, but they're for non-gamers. And you can do everything from 
a vampire tour, a pub tour, Zumba dancing, pole dancing, knitting, crocheting, cake decorating, uh, light bondage 101. You get to keep the rope. I thought that was very interesting. Thank goodness. Um, and all kinds of crafting stuff. And so we're doing 22 classes there this year um, with a capacity over 600 folks. Wow. But and are not these, crafters. I was going to say, are these, like, so like the crowds must be very different in terms of their knowledge. Do you find that the students, therefore, are extraordinarily different? Yes. <laughs> you, know, Stamp, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to think how do I say this. So Stamp Away is probably. 30 to 60 year old, mostly women. And they're crafters and they come to stamp away with, we call it a basic kit. So they have scissors and a craft knife and adhesive and all that kind of stuff. Gen Con is all the way from, well, I have someone who's booked in one of my classes this August. And she said she hopes she can attend because her first baby is due and the due date is the week before. But wow. she will be coming with the newborn. So you have all the way from newborns to, I wouldn't, couldn't even tell you how old, men and women. Um, it used to be mostly men, I understand, but now it's mixed. They have what they call nerdy girls. They, there's tons of folks in costume. There's, you'll see Darth Vader, Doctor Who, Spider-Man, I mean, all kinds of folks. And they don't consider themselves crafters. That's the wild part. We did magic wand classes where people made a magic wand and decorated it and painted it and put gems in it and stuff. And, they're sitting there with glue guns and paint and old jewelry and cramming it all together. And I'd say, how many of you in the room are crafters? Maybe one out of 30 would raise their hand. They don't see it as crafting. To them, crafting is like making stuff that they wouldn't even know what to do with. They see themselves as making costumes and props and things that um, are related to their gaming. But it could be anything. This year, we're doing a Doctor Who nightlight a Doctor Who album, a Doctor Who little quilted wall hanging. But there's there's such fans, those Whovians, they'll make anything with Doctor Who on it. So um, they're much more techie. There's smartphones everywhere. There's people live podcasting. There'll be people walking around with Google Glasses. And it's just huge. You know, 50, 60,000 people is amazing. That is amazing. You know, it actually occurs to me, like, I think so often I, I have students who come to class and they say, oh, I'm not an artist or I'm not a whatever. I'm just, I'm just here, you know, and I'm always like, yes, you are, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I think it's, this, I guess it's the same thing as like, if somebody goes to a pole dancing class, you know, they're, and you want to say, hey, yeah, you are a dancer. And if they want to say, no, I'm not really, I guess I wouldn't argue with them. But that seems weird since if anybody came to a craft class, I'd be like, yes, you are a crafter. I don't know what that dichotomy is. You know what I mean? You know, a lot of them, they'll refer to themselves instead of crafters. They'll say they're makers. Mm. Well, for me, because, you know, like Maker Faire or what they used to have Make Magazine, like that was always technology mixed with craft, right? It's putting LED lights into something. It's building something out of wood with a motor. It was always, it was the idea of combining all that tech with craft. I don't know. I mean, I think the bigger question is why do we need the labels at all anyway? Well, I mean, I, that's a pet peeve I have with Gen Con. I don't think it should be called spousal activities. Historically, they said, well, you know, men came to play games and their spouses would go to this track to knit or crochet. Well, you know, it's 2014 now and we get men and women in those in the spa events. This, many are not married. Um, they, they're there making gaming stuff as much as they are maybe the, you know, the cake decorating class. I really wish they would just call it beyond gaming because 
even the gamers come to some of the events. We're making dice towers this year as an example, and the gamers want that so they can use it when they play games. Cool. What's a dice tower? Picture kind of a, a, you know, a square, a tower, about six inches tall, four inches square. And inside of it, you've got some little pieces of wood at angles. So when you drop dice in at the top, they hit the board, they roll, they hit another board, they roll, and they spit out the bottom so that you can play a game on a table without throwing the dice all the way across the table. Fun. So it's, I think some of them see it as more practical stuff. Um, some of these folks, to be honest, don't have a very positive impression when you say crafting. They're thinking, you know, macaroni glued on a plate or something. Like that. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because I think there there is a divide between people who feel that when they make something, it has to be practical versus people who feel like the making of it sort of is the experience or you can make something just because it's pretty or interesting or whatever. Because I, I get a lot of questions from people on my blog and Facebook page and stuff like that where people say, um, that's really nice, but what do you do with it? You know, or I, that's a, what a, that's a cute idea, but you know, what do you just have all this stuff lying around? And that's just an interesting question. So I guess I would say to you, Joe, do you tend to make things that are practical or do you just have a bunch of stuff lying around as people say? Oh God. Well, our house looks like craft hoarders. I mean, remember we have a thousand <laughs> kits worth of supplies in our living room, dining room. So you know, that's probably a, a bad thing. And I love, I guess I could say beautiful things, but sometimes <laughs> they're not even beautiful. I just went to a flea market and I bought a collage that to me, it's, it's, it's in a horrible gold frame and it's a whole mishmash of stuff, but there's a little note in it. And these, I imagine the note says, you know, this is congratulations on getting your real estate license. The girls and I, you know, made this for you. And I just picture an office back in the 60s and they all saved stuff and they made this little collage for this woman who got her license. And, you know, I don't know if people would look at it and say, oh, that's beautiful. But to me, there's a whole story there. I love it. And I love stories. I think now, in terms of marketability, the classes that I put on that do make something a little bit practical, you know, the dice tower, the nightlight, the wind chime, something you can put hang in your house and use rather than just something that sticks on the wall they're selling a lot better so i think whoever i'm attracting right now they seem to be wanting items with some utility and you know if i want to stay competitive in the marketplace that's what i have to deliver and is that true of both a crafting crowd meaning like people who consider themselves crafters and people who don't consider themselves crafters you know even stamp away last year at gen con i offered some more traditional paper crafts cards and albums and stuff terrible one or two people signed up out of 30. Um, so this year i focused on gaming stuff practical stuff and my classes are at like 70 percent capacity with over a month to go stamp away what's really fascinating to me is this year my practical classes like the wind chime one or the home deck the little 3d birds on blocks sold out within days the traditional card making class is maybe at 40 percent capacity so i'm even seeing it in my in my other venues that's interesting and do you have a theory as to why that might be you know it varies on a day-to-day -day basis i think scrapbooking i think is in trouble i know there's a lot of folks who love to scrapbook but 
what I see is that it's older folks who are scrapbooking. And to me, the younger generation, they're taking digital pictures. They're not printing them out. Their scrapbook is Facebook. That's where they post them. That's where they share them. That's where people comment on them. Um, and Gen X, Gen Y is a lot more green friendly. So they're not wanting to cut paper and glue and, and waste scraps of paper. To me, that crowd is what's going after upcycling. They're the ones who shop at thrift stores. They want to wear vintage clothing. They might have old jewelry from a grandma or an aunt, but they end up cobbling back together to make a new necklace, but it has meaning to them. So I think the marketplace is changing a little bit that if we want to attract some of these younger folks, um, what they're really looking at is upcycling, recycling, practical things, fiber arts where you can wear it. Um, you can put it on your bed if it's a quilt. Uh, jewelry, you can wear it. Um, and if it's vintage, maybe it has meaning or tells a story. So I just see that as kind of on the upswing. And my evidence for that is, unfortunately, like here in Ohio, I think we've had eight little independent scrapbook stores close in the last year. Wow. Wow, that's brutal. What do you see in New York, though? I mean, they always say trends start on the coast and come to the middle. Well, I mean, if New York is a place that we're going to talk about craft, then craft doesn't exist. It's very hard to find craft here. I mean, there are tiny little pockets of it. Some art supply stores, you see a little bit of stuff around. Um, you know, there are a couple of meetup groups and stuff that come up every now and then. But the thing that I think is actually interesting is actually if you look at the museums and a contemporary art, craft has come into contemporary art. And, you know, my mom and I were at the um, Institute of Contemporary Art in Boston last week. And one of the things we noticed is there was a huge exhibit. I think it was Jim Hodges was the artist's uh -huh. name. Uh -huh. um, and every single one of the placards about his pieces were kept saying how he was elevating these common, you know, objects to art. And it was stuff like there was an installation where he had taken and pulled apart silk flowers and he had stitched them together, you know, the way that people do to create those banners. I've seen people do it with paper and with flowers and whatever else. Um, and he had hung them, you know, from from a museum ceiling, which is like a bajillion feet high. That's an actual measurement, by the way. <laughs> um, you can tell I went to public school. Anyway, no. So it's a uh, and, you know, it hangs down and. And again, like the point of it over and over, it kept saying that this is, you know, taking the ordinary everyday object and elevating it. Or like there was a installation on a wall where he had taken the silk flowers with push pins, um, like those little silver headed pins like you do with bugs and stuff and had um, put the pulled apart, you know, silk flowers on the wall there or there was a door he had created out of um like n like ticky tacky like claire's boutique necklaces and chains and stuff like that mm. and again like it's an interesting idea of uh something that i think crafters have been doing forever which is you take the common day objects and you do elevate them you do change them you do transform them into something more by you know putting a part of your story into it and if I may be a little bit on the grotesque end for just a moment it's like one of the crafts I've made fun of for a hundred years is I once came across a page that was showing you how to make um, Christmas tree ornaments uh, how to make these tampon angels <laughs> I know <laughs> I know so for years that has been like my benchmark of like really 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 
Um, because essentially, you know, this person figured out that if you sort of like spread the cotton out you and you have like a figure and then you put wings on it and it looks like an angel skirt and blah, blah, blah. And like if it wasn't called and you like hang little doodads off the tampon string. <laughs> <laughs> just talking about it is making me laugh. Anyway, but so here's the thing, though. It, I, it, to a certain extent, intellectually speaking, that's the same exact thing of elevating or transforming an ordinary object into something more. And I feel like even if you're talking about a macaroni glued to a plate, that's actually the same idea. You're taking something and you're transforming and changing it over. I think the skill, the vision, the whatever you want to call it, to actually um, transform some of those objects into something that people don't sort of giggle at but actually go like wow that's amazing and uh is huge but the place where i would argue with mr hodges who is a very famous and important artist whereas i am absolutely no one but nonetheless i'll argue with him um is i would say that i think the people who can transform objects so far that you no longer are interested in what it's made out of like the fact that it's made out of that is 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 non-essential to the fact that it's still aesthetically interesting or emotionally, you know, touches you or moves you. I think that those are people who I admire so incredibly much. It's like the difference between eating a meal where I you're like, "Wow, this is an amazing meal." Whereas you eat a meal and it's a good meal and somebody's like, "Yeah, and I made it out of three ingredients." And you're like, "Wow, that's amazing." I I always think it's more impressive when you can transform it so far that it no longer matters what the the challenge in it was. Do you know what I mean? Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm that it's hard though when people aspire to do that because i've made some projects um that i've been real lucky and they've shown up in magazines and stuff but they've been from thrift store finds because i love thrift store shopping and garage sales and all that and you know you can make one of something because it's all the stuff you found you know at garage sales and then people say oh we'd like to take a class on that you know we want to learn how to do that well i can't get 20 or 30 of those things I got at those garage sales. And I don't really know how to, you know, teach. Okay, you go find some cool stuff and you slap other cool stuff on it and you paint it and stencil it and rub it off a little bit and you'll have some other cool stuff. Um, but actually, you know what, stuff. Joe? I totally see you doing something like, have you ever seen American Pickers? Oh, I love American Pickers. Yeah, or like, or like Storage Wars or any oh, of that I stuff. I mean, Wars. that's still the same idea, right? They show you the stuff they found. They tell you what their vision is for it. And a lot of them, you know, then some of them obviously rehab objects into objects. But I've seen some where they're artists or they're creators and they remake it into a table, into chairs, into whatever. And you're blown away. Do you know what I mean? With their, their creativity. Like, I think that you and Joe, by the way, if I didn't mention this, Joe's partner's name is Joe. So if I'm talking about Joe twice, Joe squared, that's what it means. But um, what I was going to say is I totally think that you and Joe should do a video series where like you go to flea markets and you pick out your stuff and then you transform it. I think it would be amazingly popular. Oh, because Joe Morgan needs another excuse to shop, Julie. Thank you. <laughs> oh, wow. But now you can write it off. You know, last year we went to an antique show or fair or whatever you call those kinds of things and there was a booth with vintage jewelry and I was picking out a few pieces because I thought boy these earrings they look like they could be owl eyes and you know oh this looks like I could use it in a steampunk thing or an underwater kind of thing and so he was selling it by the piece you know a buck a piece and after I had a big handful I thought well this is crazy and he had them in those you know the cardboard boxes like a 24 pack of soda comes in a little three inch high tray thing so I went up to him and said you know this is crazy piece by piece. How about you sell me a tray's worth? And the guy said, no. And 
he said, but you could buy the whole booth. And I was a little bit upset. So I kind of walked away. And as I walked away, I actually pictured those TV shows that you see at Market Warriors. That's one of my favorites. And I thought, I'm going to do this. I'm going to buy the booth. So I actually turned around. And after some negotiating, I gave him a price. I said, I'll buy the whole booth here. This is what I'll offer. He said, you know, that's a joke. So I said, well, then fine. You can pack it all up and take it home tonight. I don't need it. And I walked away kind of thinking, damn, I really wanted all that stuff. And he yelled and I went back. And the short of it is I bought 145 pounds of vintage costume junk jewelry. I bought the whole boots worth. And boy, was my sister surprised when we got home. I showed her one little piece. She's like, oh, that's cool. I was like, yeah, go look by the washer dryer. I have more. And it was five big huge Rubbermaid bins full of all this knotted and tangled jewelry. But I can't tell you how many folks wanted to come over and sift through it and untangle it and play with it and buy pieces. And It's been a hoot. So I was going to say, that sounds like a treasure chest is what you found, like a pirate's booty of jewelry and stuff. You need to come out. We still have bins of it left. Julie, come on out. I'll come on, dive and find myself a treasure. Well, you know, I think it's funny because I I've often feel like um, people who love the upcycling like you do, we're just, we're like trash people, for lack of a better word. Like, I find myself all the time, like in class, people will like throw away a painted strip of something. I'm like, don't throw that away. And I'm like rescuing that. Or somebody, I have all over my house, I have um, protected from, this is going to sound so terrible, protected from my cleaning lady who likes to clean up the house. I have all these bags and bins of garbage that I know she'll throw away otherwise. You know, bubble wrap and toilet paper rolls and like crazy hoarder stuff but i need it but it's bad like in our neighborhood on trash day i saw somebody throwing out a funky old chandelier but had all those big crystals hanging on it and stuff (laughs) and i went to i went to go get it joe said not in the daylight i mean this is our neighbor's trash (laughs) and i was like i know but i can't wait it might not be here tonight so i had to throw it in the back of the car and it's funny those posts on our facebook page get the most likes and shares it's oh look at the junk we found look at the boxes of jewelry we bought um people really like that stuff and of course our house like you said looks like hoarders it's really bad we could be that tv show too that well you know i feel like this is combining so many different tv shows maybe you could have a big fight and be like a reality show (laughs) show of some kind too Oh, my sister and I do that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we could add a little hair pulling or something, and I think you'd have a hit. It's it's interesting to me, though, because when – if I – now that I've turned 50, you know, I can get melancholy. When I was (laughs) much, 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 much younger and single, you know, Friday nights were – me and Saturday nights were to get dressed up, to go out, you know, to go to a bar, to go dance and drink and whatever, all that stuff. And now I look and think, oh, my God, if someone were to watch from the street we're dancing in our pajamas in front of the picture window, putting kits together, eating pizza and singing to the oldies. I'm so old now in the eighties. I listen to eighties music all the time. Um, but it's funny how my, you know, your life changes over time. It does. And, and speaking of that, have you found that your crafting has evolved over time? Like what you're interested in and your style? Yes, absolutely. Um, what are the you know, phases when, you went through? Well, I should clarify by saying going through a phase doesn't mean we actually made anything. We just bought everything you need to do it. <laughs> so, uh, it's almost I, as good as doing it. It's like joining a health club or a gym. Yeah. You're almost exercising, even if so, you never go. You know, after that first crop, 
we bought all things scrapbooking. I have the tote bags, 12 by 12 paper. We have stacks of it. We have Jolie's embellishments, all kinds of stuff. You name it. I've made one scrapbook and it was for an episode of uh, a TV show. That was it. And so scrapbooking, we have all the stuff, but we never did it. Then we kind of went into rubber stamping and we have thousands and thousands of rubber stamps. And we thought we'd make cards all the time. Um, that never happens. And when I do make a card, it sounds terrible, but I usually feel like, wow, this is so nice and took so much time. I'm never going to send this to anybody. <laughs> so that didn't happen. Um, but now it's definitely that upcycling, recycling. I've moved a lot into the glass stuff, cutting bottles and making stuff out of glass stuff. Um, it's it's fun. And of course, now we have all the stuff. That's what's cool is I can be in the middle of a project and say, boy, I wish we had blank. And Joe Morgan, who can remember every little detail in life, is like, oh, we do. It's in a box over here somewhere. Da, 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 da. So it's handy to have the equivalent of a giant craft store in your living room, dining room. Friends certainly like it. I was going to say, and you have your own human, like, you know, master librarian of the craft index. Oh, thank God, because I can't even remember, like, what I ate for lunch today. So <laughs> I feel that way. But, you know, one of the things I've always said that I, I like, I've always said I have the messiest, dirtiest studio. I mean, it's not dirty, but it's just, it looks like something exploded in there. But I can put my hands on anything that I need, you know, in 30 seconds because it's it's organized and it sounds like you're super organized and that's why Joe's able to know where everything is. We try. I'm not sure if you were there this weekend in the middle of making all that kits that would seem that way but um it's nice. I think it's I think it's nice that we can all do that activity together and even though of course we're going to we're going to fight, we're going to argue, there's times we're going to hate each other. Um some one person wants to do it another way and the other person's doing it this way, you know, there's going to be conflict but I still think it's a great time for for people in general as a way to spend time together, be it friends or family or, you know, I to me, crafting brings people together. It's what brought me so close to my mom. I agree. And I just came back from teaching five days and I cannot tell you the number of stories that people told me uh, of ways in which art and craft change their life or I saw mothers and daughters, granddaughters and grandmothers, you know, college roommates 50 years later, like so many things that just touched me and reminded me of what a uniting thing it is, you know, and the fact that you could, like I was standing talking to a group of women and this woman came over and said, uh, are you with Create? And we all said, yes. And she said, me too. And then that was launched into a conversation and it was like, you know, complete stranger. Let's talk about it because we all like the same thing. You know, most of the crafters I've met are really, they're really nice, you know, fun folks. Look at uh, you and Natalie Kalbach and Suze Weinberg and Susan Pickering Rothamel and Magdalena Muldoon. And, you know, the, the, there's names that you see all the time. Um, they, I would have no problem if, if you called Julie and said, hey, I'm coming through Columbus, Ohio. No matter what state my house looked in, I'd be comfortable to say, well, come on over, stay, have come dinner. Come on over and dig in my treasure chest. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> most of the folks you meet are so, so nice. And most are willing to share any ideas they have or tips or sources. Um, it's, it's a really great crowd. Now, not everyone. Um, there's some folks who really don't want to share ideas or things like that. But for the most part, everybody I've met, they've been really fantastic. They're good. They're on kindergarten rules. I've, I've, it's like I've gone to many retreats where I've seen people, somebody says, oh, no, I didn't bring any of this. And 12 people say, I have some you can use. 
Yep, yep. Which is really nice. Now, by the way, the list of people that you gave who are awesome are also happen to be a list of awesome women. And you, of course, are a man. And one of the reasons I named this uh, podcast The Rooster in the Hen House is because you are one of the very few men who's working in the craft industry. Will you tell us a little bit about what that's like to be the rooster in the hen house? You know, I have to say for myself, if I'm really candid, I've always been more comfortable around women than men. And I think it's because this alpha male kind of uh, stereotype intimidates me. I, you know, I can't talk to you about sports. I don't know anything about sports. One of my uh, employees last week said, you know, what do you think about LeBron going back to Cleveland? And I thought, who, what? What are we talking about? <laughs> wow, so, you are under a rock. I don't know this stuff. Um, well, see, here's I, a little secret, Joe, which is my mother happens to be a rabid sports fan. Oh, and no. so you would never expect it. But I'm telling you, I've been in a, the back of a cab when she has shamed a cab driver who dared to give a piece of information that was not accurate about some sort of sports thing. And she's like, no, that's not right. And she'll just break it down about what the uh, actual situation is. You know, I think. I think being a man has had an advantage. Some people, I'm not sure, but folks have said, oh, you know, women are signing up for your class because you're a man. And they, you know, they, they like that better than learning from a woman, woman. And, you know, I'm not sure. I can't say that one way or the other, but I can say people have been wonderful. They're very welcoming of my tribe, but that includes, you know, my partner, Joe, my sister. There are some other men in crafting and I'm surprised how those men maybe aren't as authentic as I am. I'm very authentic about this is my family. This is what we're like. You know, if Joe were to publish that video of me dancing, I'm in my a long pajama shirt and my underwear. You know, I'm dancing in the kitchen. That's that's me. I would tell you that that doesn't bother me. And some of the other men I see in this field are very, um, they keep up a pretty big wall. I mean, they're still out there doing the crafting, but I don't feel they feel comfortable sharing as much about themselves as I do about me. But I just feel very connected to most of the folks who sit through a class with me. Not all, but some you really feel like, wow, we've, we've really had a good time together and I would love to see you again. Well, I was going to ask, do women ever, I mean, I assume they flirt with you. Do they harass you? Do you feel harassed by them? Um, never harass. They definitely flirt. And I think they flirt with me because they know they're safe. Um, I'm very, you know, you can certainly ask me to dance and not worry about, boy, I wonder if he's going to think something else is going to happen at this convention. <laughs> um, I'll, you know, I might take your shoes. That'd be it. You know, I can't think of anything else. So they definitely flirt and we tease and everything. Um, but I think they still know it's in a very, very safe, respectful way. Um, that I respect women. I admire women. Um, I admire these women who, just, you know, whatever age range they're in, will go to an event like Stampaway, stay at a hotel, book themselves in, do all that. Obviously, my mother now, if she were alive, would be in her late 80s. That's not something I would have seen her doing. She was home with my dad. And if we, if she were to go anywhere, I can't imagine she ever went anywhere overnight that wasn't a trip or something my dad organized. Um, so these folks are out there. They're arting. They're crafting. They're driving all over the place. They're finding bargains. They're spending the night, and they're having a really good time. And I just love doing it with them. Um, I want to ask you because we've mentioned the idea of marketing a couple times, and I know that professionally speaking, that is, uh, you you are a marketing person. Um, but I'm wondering, do you? I mean, again, I guess I'm saying is how 
how much marketing do you do on the craft end of stuff? Do you have like a plan? Do you go after certain things? Do you have like a time period in which you look at things and adjust it? How formal of a marketing plan do you have for your craft business? Boy, not as much as I'd like. I mean, I look at you, Julie, and think, boy, Julie knows how to 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 make a business out of art. You're very, very, very good at that. Very smart. Um, you you are ahead of the curve on that. For me, I can. It's funny. I can tell other folks what to do, but the cobbler's kids have no shoes, um, so it's hard for me to do it myself. Although recently, I have taken a more focused approach at okay, let's track the numbers. What sold at Gen Con last year? So I know what to market this year. You know, I do try to follow the rules about posting on Facebook with a certain frequency, um, certain themes. I now know these classes or these products are more profitable than other ones. So this is what I want to market and I want to de- you know, downplay some of the other things. So I can't, I wouldn't say a formal written plan, but at least there's a Google calendar that has a schedule of what's getting posted when, what's getting advertised when. Um, and it's working. I'm actually seeing my business take a, a pretty strong upswing in the last quarter just because of those efforts. And have you found that being a little bit more formal in terms of going towards what you see as selling, has that taken any of the the joy out of the sort of like crafty process in terms of having sort of being a slave to what's selling as opposed to what you might necessarily want to do? Or do you find that you find a way to make what's selling be what you want to do? You know, it's not like I'm looking for the new things selling so much, or I guess if I am, I still have to like to do them. So it's still fun. Plus the marketing thing is kind of fun for me. It's like a puzzle. Um, you know, I'm the question you asked earlier, what, you know, how are things changing? Basically I'm fascinated now thinking, okay, what is the word to describe? Why did a wind chime class sell out and not a bookbinding class? You know, what makes the nightlight and the dice tower so popular compared to the wall hanging? And the only word I could come up with with my friend Terry Sproul was practical. Okay. So now I'm thinking practical things sell. And you know, when, something practical doesn't sell, then I have to figure out why that hasn't worked. So it's kind of like a puzzle and I love puzzles. Interesting. And do you find that, um, cause we were just talking about, obviously they joke, we were joking about the trends from the East coast coming into the rest of the country, but do you find that you look uh, outside of the craft industry for trends and stuff, or are you pretty much sticking to what you're seeing within? Oh, definitely outside. I mean, you want to look at magazines to see what, what's, been popular. I try to look at studies that show what are the most popular boards and pins on Pinterest. Um, if you have a gift show near you, a gift mart, that's a great place to go because that's what stores is going to buy, you know, six months from now. So if you think about recently owls, owls have been the big thing. Everybody was making stuff with owls and pictures of owls and, you know, go to the gift mart and see what they're going to push for next Christmas is what they have out there now, even next spring, because what those folks have either done all the research and they know where, where something's headed or they're going to drive the trend that way because it's the only stuff you're going to see in the stores and you're going to be bombarded with it. So I love looking at that stuff, trying to predict, okay, what's going to be the next big thing in our area, design-wise or imagery-wise, color-wise? Um, so, yeah, definitely look other places. Cool. And my last question for you is really about your process. I mean, before we have your fabulous video garbage picking, dancing in your pajama show, <laughs> um, when you are buying stuff, you know, are you actually thinking what you're going to use it for? Or are you just like, this is cool. I'm sure we'll find a way, something to do with it. 
there's a little bit of, I'm sure this is cool. Um, but most of it, it's really funny because when I, some stuff I look at it and I, I can't see anything, you know, it's just junk. It's junk on the table and it's still junk. And other times I'll look at something and think, wow, this is, you know, the beginnings of a terrarium, or this is a, this is a time machine. This is a steampunk thing. Or, and it's like, if I close my eyes, I know this sounds crazy, but I can almost see it and I can tell what pieces I want to put with it. Now it never turns out exactly what I thought it was going to be. And most of the stuff never turns out period. In other words, it sits as raw stuff. If I could only have the time to make everything what I bought the stuff for. Um, I think this year I'm committed to trying to keep a journal. I'm going to start journaling because what happens is I may buy this stuff and I picture on the spot, this is what I'm going to make with this. It's going to be great. And unfortunately, when I find it a year later, when we clean and find a box of treasures, it's like, wow, this is cool. I wonder what I bought this for. And I think, God, I, I did know what I wanted to do with this. Now I can't remember. So I need to put tags on stuff or something like that. But I kind of see it right from some original shape. And sometimes it's a little thing that I have to build a whole scene around. The piece people maybe know me for is a time machine that was in, um, oh, I can't think of the magazine now. Isn't that terrible? Uh, Somerset Studios Gallery. And it was all built around a pinwheel. And the pinwheel, I saw a pinwheel and I thought, oh, it has to turn. And for turning, it needs gears and chains and sprockets. And then it could be a time machine and you could set the date. And, you know, it went crazy. All started with one little pinwheel. And other times it's, I see the big thing. Wow, this is a big shadow box. Now let me think about a scene that I could put inside it. You know, how about underwater? And you know, off we go. So I usually see it though, right from the beginning. So what you're saying is that you built a time machine, and that's how you're able to do two jobs. It's true. It's true. And that I've got, you know, I've got minions. I've got Joe and Betty and Carol. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want some minions. That sounds awesome. I'm Come here, minion. you can borrow. Come it's here, true. You can borrow it's true. Mine. I've converted my mother into a mini minion, but it's true. Um, speaking of which, Mom, you've been so silent. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Is there anything you wanted to add? Uh, well, first on this thing with the way his process, you know, I'm not a crafter, but I do that same thing. I do it either with food ingredients. I'll see something interesting that I, and I don't yet know how I'm going to use it, but I take it home and I let it sit around and then I figure out something. And then the other thing is I realized I do that with clothing. I mean, two days ago, I put on a dress I had bought several years ago that I had never worn that I bought at a closeout, a store closing sale. It was children's clothes, but there happened to be this dress that fit me. And I've had it in my closet for maybe three, four years and never worn it. And then I just figured out how to use it. And I think whatever sphere you feel creative end you'll see something and you'll know that down the road you might use it and so you'll pick it up because it strikes your fancy and later there it is and you do figure out something i have to say mom has always uh well, tortured slash uh, lavished us with her love of strange foods. There, we <laughs> had several things growing up, the most famous of which is the Festival of Foreign Fruits. And she would go and she would buy all these weird things that like, you know, at some ethnic market that you've never heard of and you don't know what it does or how you're supposed to eat it and what part of it is edible and what part isn't. And then she would put it out and you had to try everything on it. And look what a well-rounded person you are now. Round being the key there. Yes, I do love 
food. I was impressed she still fit in that dress from years ago. I thought, wow, you're better than me. But you should be more impressed that it came from a children's store. (laughs) Oh, I love carbs. And now, you know, all day I'm sitting here at work thinking, I'm going to go tell Joe, Joe, I'd like a festival of fruits. There no, you go. foreign fruits. You have to have the oh, a three festival, of, festival of foreign fruits. <laughs> it's the alliteration that really sells the festival. Oh, uh, and you know, you could take that so many different ways, and that's the problem. <laughs> go there. I was going to say a buffet of a different kind. Anyway, what a good note to end on. So, Joe Rotella, where can people find you online? Oh, you can find me as Joe Rotella on Facebook or Create and Craft. That's C-R-E-A-T-E, the letter N like Nancy, Craft. And that's on Facebook or createandcraft.com. Cool. And, and mom, where can people find you online? Sitting by the phone as usual, waiting for my daughter to call me. Oh, I see. I see. Mom doesn't like, mom doesn't like to be found online. So there you go. Um, but as always, you can find me at balzerdesigns.typepad.com. And do leave us your comments or questions at balzerdesigns.com backslash arting. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and also, if you tweet about the show, please note that we have changed the hashtag because the uh, other one was there was lots of stuff that wasn't about the podcast. So the new hashtag is pound arting podcast a r t i n g p o d c a s t and thanks so much for listening we will definitely see you the next time which will be much sooner than the last time on the adventures in arting podcast